You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. I had the privilege of standing in the back of the room while we were singing, and um, Harlan was peeking over Chris's shoulder at me while we were singing, and she'd kind of peek, and I'd wave at her, and she'd hide like this, and then she'd peek, and I'd kind of wave at her. And my point in saying this is, has... Have you guys also experienced that with a child, a baby? And, and you see that baby and you just kind of want them to smile at you. And so you're kind of Gucci, Gucci. You're making goofball noises you'd never make otherwise. And you're making faces and, and you just want, you're wanting that response. And the thought came to me, is that not our loving Heavenly Father? You see, we, we kind of plow through life and we, we're trucking along and, and we think that he's just kind of sitting there with his arms crossed and more in tune with trying to catch us doing something wrong. But actually he's just desiring our affection and our love like when we try to get that little one to smile at us. There's something about when that little one responds and smiles at you. It kind of lightens you up a little bit, doesn't it? Guys, God loves us in the same way. He is delighted when we show him affection, when we sing to him and when we love him. That was too important not to share. So, young folks, we've got some great leaders for you today. And uh, you are dismissed. You'll be down this hallway. Uh, Parents, if you're new, uh, kiddos that are kindergarten through third grade will be down in this last classroom down this hallway. And be sure that You give the leader your cell phone number if you are new. That way, if we need to get hold of you, we can. I want to preface this morning's sermon very quickly before we jump into it. And that is the topic today that we are talking about is something that's been near and dear to my heart for quite some time, and and I can't explain why. Uh, It's something that even in our last family vacation, as we drove through the South, we stopped and went to museums, civil rights museums and different things, just wanting to grow in my understanding and awareness of this. And and what I want to make sure that we all begin with is this. This is not a political issue. This is a gospel issue. This is not a preference issue. This is about us loving others as Christ loves us. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is quoted saying, I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. And in my limited experience in life, I have found this to be true. 
And yet, for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that our eternal future is not segregated. As we read in our scripture this morning before we sang, there will be representatives of every tribe, nation, tongue, ethnicity, skin color before the throne of God, singing praises to him. It's as if in that scripture God pulled back the curtain of our future. Let me read verse 9 again, if you would, from that scripture. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Because in Christ we are all one. We are all unified. Segregation within the church is not only a modern-day problem, nor is it only an American problem. It was a problem in the early church as well, something the Apostle Peter struggled with, who was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, something that as you read through Acts and other scriptures, you can see where Paul even reprimanded him for being anti-Greek or anti-Gentile and only pro-Jew. It was also a problem for the young church that Paul addressed this letter of Colossians to, this letter that we've been in for some time now. And this morning, because of the weight of this issue in today's society, in our church, at church at large, not, I don't know of specific issues in our local congregation, but I can't help but think that they're there because we all come from different backstories, as Gary preached about last week. We have We're looking through eyes of only our own situation and unless we choose to work at it, unless we choose to learn, we're only still going to see through our own eyes and not realize other people's stories and situations and how that can affect how they see life and go through life. So this morning, we are only going to be in Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. There will be other scriptures as we come across And you're thinking, oh no, only one verse? (laughs) It's going to be okay. (laughs) We need to hear this. (laughs) Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. I'm not going to ask you to stand for one verse this morning, but would you read it with me? In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now my wife cautioned me to look up how you say Scythian, maybe it's Scythian before I started, and I did not. So if you know how you exactly pronounce it, I'm all ears. Let me know. But two weeks ago, we were instructed in this letter to put to death our earthly nature. And those specific things that Paul listed was Sexual immorality, it was greed, it was bad attitudes, it was bad speech, it was lying. We were to take off that old, soiled clothing of our old self and dispose of it permanently. And then to put on our new selves in Christ, a command obviously impossible to obey if you made any attempts on this on your own. But through Christ and being renewed by Him daily, very much possible and attainable. 
And we are renewed in Christ through our prayer, through spending time in God's word, through gathering together as brothers and sisters, as a local faith family, encouraging one another, hearing from God's word, singing together. And next week we'll get into those attributes or those new clothes, if you will, that we are to put on. You see, you can't just simply take something off without putting something on in its place or we'll fall back into that which we shouldn't have on again. And we'll get into that next week. However, this morning, we must take a look at this one more sinful attitude or outlook that Paul was addressing with this church that applies to us today. Our message title is Christ is All and In All which is the end of our verse, as I'm sure you've noticed. And, and the reason that is true is because in Christ we are bonded together. Christ unifies us. He heals us. He saves us. And he restores us. If we are saved by Christ, then we are made new. New in everything, including how we see others. So when it comes to how we see others or treat others, Sometimes our tendencies, our tendencies to do so and what we say and do are very blatant. Maybe it was how we were raised or perhaps something happened to us or someone we love that we feel is there's a, another people group or ethnicity or whatever that is a cause of that and that and spurred us on into this bitterness or hatred or or being racist. It's also very possible, and I think this is where most of us fall into, to have unintentional tendencies in how we treat others. See that we can, we can say things or do things or post things online or whatever that we have no idea how our, belo- our brother or our sister in Christ might see that. And you may ask, how can I know? How can I be responsible for that? How can, I, how can I possibly keep up with that? And we can't always. And there is grace for that. And at the same time, it's not an excuse to just blow it all off and not look into how we might grow and improve in this. Before we get into this, I would like to first introduce you to a man I have recently learned about through listening to him being interviewed on some podcast and, and then hearing about some of the books he's written. I picked up his autobiography and have been reading through that. He's an incredible man who's in his late 80s today. A black man who grew up in Mississippi before and during the civil rights movement. He's a third grade dropout and yet has served on five different councils to the president of the United States. Five different presidents. He has 16 honorary doctorates awarded to him by different universities. But even more than all of that is a man who is changed by the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let that be his foundation and his platform from which he has gone out the rest of his life and is still today. Some have remarked, I wish I had the energy that he has in his late 80s. (laughs) And then they follow up and say, actually, 
if I was just as godly as him. That's what I would rather have. And so he is a hero to many. But let me read a little bit more about his story here to you. He was born in 1930 in New Hebron, Mississippi, into a sharecropping family. His father abandoned him when he was a baby. And his mom died when he was seven months old. Extended family took him in and raised him as their own. His extended family was uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and they were in the bootlegging business. <laughs> so his view of work and how you earn a living at the very ripe young age of a small boy was obviously altered and skewed. And he, of course, experienced the oppression of being black, growing up as the norm of having separate doors you go in through, whether it's a medical clinic and having access to far lesser quality of medical care. Education in Mississippi then was slim to none for blacks. All the money and funding went to whites, and even though as laws came about to try to change that, (laughs) the corrupt folks in charge of that funding, they, they figured out loopholes and ways to reallocate those funds to where they still, almost all the majority of the funding and resources went to the white schools. When he was in his teens, his older brother had been drafted and served in World War II and came back actually a war hero. His older brother, they were in town that evening and they were getting ready to go to a movie and they were in line in this alley to go behind the back of the theater because they weren't allowed to go to the front. They had to sit in a whole different section. And they were talking loudly and excitedly and the town marshal came up and asked them to quiet down and here's a war hero having just served overseas for our country, and he's being told that he can't talk loud. And of course, that upset him, and so the town marshal, because so he didn't quiet down, and the town marshal hit him with his club. John's brother went to block the second blow, and the marshal took two steps back and shot him twice in the gut. He died on his way to the hospital, but John holding him in his arms in the back seat of the car. This was a family known for taking matters into their own hands. And so the family, in order to protect John and trying to seek vengeance for his brother, sent him, saved up and scrapped and sent him to California to try to get him away from it all. In California, he began his family and, and found that he had opportunities there that he didn't in Mississippi. See, they, though there were problems there as well, there were far less. And so there were opportunities for him to get jobs, even if the third grade education, and opportunities for him to, to work his way up and to prove himself. And, and he found value in that and saw the value in that. And as he his, he's had his family and had kids and still having this anti-white mentality, <laughs> trying to work his way up, trying to find out how he could get as much money because that's where he saw that he could have power over the white man. His son, named Spencer, started attending a church and a Bible study and invited his dad to come with him. So at 30 years old, John went with his son and ended up accepting Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
When he left Mississippi, he vowed he'd never return and go back. And yet shortly after his new relationship with Christ, he felt the call to go back. Don't ever say never, right? And so he did. He packed up his family and moved back and they started ministries and churches and medical clinics and different things trying to help the poor, the oppressed, and especially the black in southern Mississippi. And see, this was during the 60s and 70s. And if you know your history, you know that the civil rights movement is going on strong during this time. And, and John was realizing and seeing that those leading the civil rights movement, including some believe Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., had a skewed theology. Their theo- what they were doing was right and good, but the theology and what they were teaching about was getting a little off, and he felt like he needed to engage and get involved, and he did. And upon some demonstrations in Jackson, Mississippi, where some students were sitting in a whites-only restaurant, just sitting there, peacefully, they were arrested and put in jail, so John went up to bail them out. This was in the early 70s. As he pulled into the parking lot, law enforcement met him in the parking lot to arrest him and immediately began beating him. I won't go into the details of that. They proceeded to do so most of the night. He was coming to bail out these students. He had done nothing wrong. He was put in the hospital and was covering and he could feel the hatred rising inside him again towards the whites. <laughs> Understandably so. And yet, in this black-only hospital, there were white doctors. And these white doctors were loving on him and caring for him. And a couple of them had relationships with Christ that they were telling him about. And he realized that he was being outloved by the people he thought he was supposed to hate. When he healed and recovered and got out, he realized he realized that he needed to begin preaching a new gospel, a gospel a gospel where Christ came for all men, black, white, every ethnicity, every race. And he has done that since. They opened up their clinics and their their education facilities and the things that they were working on to, to not just blacks, but to poor, for the white, for anybody that needed it. The American Indian, you name it. Oh, by the way, along the way, did I, I think I forgot to mention that John became a pastor as well. <laughs> pastor to church. John's quoted in it saying, 
And there's documentary films and stuff on him on YouTube that I'd encourage you to look up and watch. And he, he said that he realizes that it's complicated. But it's going to take the church, it's going to take the gospel, and it's going to take the church to do something about it. It's not one person. It's going to be the church together doing it. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. And it's only in that case can we read stories of hope today that are out there where this is happening. In Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10, we saw how we cannot be passive about our sin. And that includes how we might see other people or how we, we might even just subconsciously ignore them because we don't understand them. Maybe you're wondering how this might apply to us this morning. You're like, well, I'm not racist, Matt. I don't, I don't, I like Khalif, you know, he's an awesome guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that person. What I found in my own journey is I had a skewed perspective because I'm only looking at life and doing things through what I knew. Obviously, we all know what I am. Paul said circumcision and uncircumcision. Well, circumcision, we hit on that earlier in Colossians, meaning the representation of the old covenant between Israel and God. Uncircumcision would be a representation of the new covenant or the Gentile believer. And so today we might say that's referring to believers no matter how long they've been in the faith, whether you accepted Christ at 10.29 a.m. this morning right before you walked in the door or, or you've been a believer as long as you can remember. For the barbarian and the Scythian, the barbarian, the Roman Empire used that as anybody who spoke a different language than them. If you remember in world history, Rome encompassed most of the world at that time. Scythians were, well, they were the wildest of the barbarians. They would be like, if the barbarians said, hey, those guys are barbarians, that would be the Scythians. Today, we might look at it as believers who are living in remote villages or foreign cultures and even unreached people groups. Slave and free, and, and in this context, slavery meant not what we did here in America and stole people out of their nation and brought them here and forced them to work for us and treated them like property instead of people. That's not what slavery means here. It means a servant or attendant. Okay? Some of them were forced, but that was the minority during this time. Most places and times, because they were poor, they had to sign up to basically be somebody's servant or attendant still oppression free everyone else so today we might say believers who are poor oppressed incarcerated or the rich and so as we work from those understandings those classifications those man-made labels let's explore the rest of the verse the first two words of the verse have eternal significance in christ specifically that we have salvation in christ We've all been corrupted by sin. Psalm 139, Romans 3, Romans 5 tell us this. 
as well as a host of other scriptures. Therefore, not one of us was without guilt or fault. Not one ethnicity or people group is more righteous or valuable than another. Period. Whether you're God's chosen race, a Jew, whether you were a German in the 30s and 40s, or an American, with slaves here. The person wearing a grass skirt in the middle of Africa is every bit as valuable, loved, and important as I am, or you are. Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says, Once we were alienated and hostile in our minds and expressed our evil actions, but now Christ has reconciled you, us, by his physical body through his death to present us holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Christ has reconciled us to himself. That means he has done what we cannot do. He initiated it, he went about it, and he accomplished it once and for all. So we can be brought back to God and as we are brought back to God, we are also then unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He did this so that he can be all and in all, not just to Greeks or Jews, rich, poor, whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, Indians, or any other ethnicity group for every one of us, meaning he has accomplished it. It's done. We are also one in Christ. Those of us who know him as our Lord and Savior, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen tells us that. Galatians three twenty eight also tells us that. Meaning, we as believers are unified through the blood of Christ. Pastor and author Dr. Kevin DeYoung reminds us here, because of sin and pride, God separated people by confusing their language at the Tower of Babylon. I know that was already on some of your minds. Didn't God create race back then? No. You just confuse your language because of their pride and sin. That's in Genesis 11, if you want to read about that later. And then Kevin Young also reminds us, but through Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit, he brought people back together at Pentecost in Acts 2. You remember that story? We're not going to get on the topic of the gifts of tongue here. But in this case, in Acts 2, it was specifically so that all within hearing could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. Bringing them back together, tearing down the walls of sin that separates us. Dr. Tony Evans summarizes biblical unity like this. Unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we... All are the same. Of course not. Christ has given us different gifts. There's different parts of the body. What it does mean is it means oneness of purpose. What purpose? The GC squared life. The first of the GC, the great commandment. The second of the GC, the great commission. Matthew 22, Matthew 28. Not only do we have salvation in Christ, not only are we one in Christ, we also have all been created in Christ. Colossians 1.16, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, 
the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Genesis 127, we are all made in God's image. Acts 17.26 tells us that he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. What does that mean? He created one race. We have different cultures. We have different languages. Are good things. Things to celebrate. Things to not overlook. We should not be colorblind. Not at all. That's ignoring the uniqueness and the design that God created someone to be. But if we trace it all the way back, we're all of the same race. Because we have the same creator. And then our sin separates, but as we come to know Christ, he brings us back together. We have a responsibility as believers, as a local church, to learn what we might do, what we might say, even maybe how we vote. That could be offensive and oppressive to our minority brothers and sisters. Why? Oppression and racism are sins. And I've got eight references here. I'm not going to rattle off. If you want them later, I'll send them to you. Email me. As believers, we are commanded to love others. We're not just suggested to. We're not just, if it feels right, or if you know them, or if they look like me, if they're in the same socioeconomic class as me. No. We're to love others. Period. Through Christ, we are in Christ. Therefore, the last part of our verse, Christ is all and in all. I love how this quote summarizes this. We must place our history, background, culture, and personality under the rule of Christ. Let me say that again. We must place our history, our background, our culture, and personality under the rule of Christ. It's not saying ignore it. It's not saying it doesn't exist. It's not saying to, appreci- to not appreciate it, but it needs to be under the rule of Christ. And may I add, what we post on social media should also be placed under the rule of Christ. Meaning that by grace through faith, we choose to trust in Jesus Christ our Lord, putting him in charge of everything. Did you know that this also means, I've said it a couple of times, I'm going to keep saying it, that we have more in common with a fellow believer on the other side of the world that we couldn't even figure out sign language to communicate with each other. They don't even have a written language yet that I have more in common with that brother or sister in Christ than I do with an unbelieving biological family member here. If Christ truly is supreme, if Christ truly is all and in all, and especially in my life and in their life, I am more related and have more in common with them 
than I do with an unbelieving family member here that I've known my whole life. Because we have Christ in common. So as we strive to more fully surrender to Christ in our daily lives, our love for others, it will increase because the gospel will transform us in such a way that what Christ loves, we too will love. Side note, does it bother any of y'all that a lot of our paintings and pictures of Jesus where he's a white man it bothers the heck out of me. <laughs> He's not. He wasn't when he walked the earth. He was a Middle Eastern ethnicity. Probably dark olive skin. Scripture says he was a plain looking man, not the most handsome ripped guy out there. <laughs> it wasn't his physical appearance that drew the multitudes to him. You see, as we close here, I have two points that I want us to walk away with here. I believe we have the responsibility to learn. Perkins says, There's no reconciliation until you recognize the dignity of the other. Until you see their view. You have to enter into the pain of the people. You've got to feel their need. That's that compassion. That word keeps coming up, doesn't it? Since Chris preached a few weeks ago that God as I learn more about this what would you have me do one thing that I've done is I've I've asked Khalif I'm like bro talk to me how can I be more aware of what it's like tell me We've gotten a new guy that helps bring some cleaning materials here. Black man who's associate pastor in Northwest Arkansas, bivocational, and he's doing this on the side. And this happened about two weeks ago. And I'm, bro, I'm preaching on this. You got 15 minutes to sit down with me? Help me out. Talk to me. I want to know. I want to learn. What can we do to learn? Cleve's been posting some great posts, Black History Month, on Facebook. If you don't currently follow Cleve on there, you should. It's fantastic. It's stuff, the history books I had in school left out and ignored. And it pains me <laughs> that in my 40s, I'm now finding out these things. If you're driving through Birmingham, Alabama, stop. Walk up to Martin Luther King Jr.'s church. Close your eyes. Imagine being there in the 60s. What would that have been like? The other point that I want to leave you with is this, is that we have the responsibility to love. with a heart of love and with the right attitude, not so that it can be a project, but truly to get to know someone. Is there someone that you could begin a friendship with that you don't currently have, that has a different backstory than you? Whether it's 
a different ethnicity or a different culture or even where they're at financially in life. Get to know them. Ask them, what can I do and say that makes a difference? What, what potentially offends you? What encourages them? And then by God's grace, once they realize your love and care for them, they might even ask you those same questions. Speak, act, and vote holistically pro-life. You see, being holistically pro-life means that we are for life and for the lives of every human being from the womb to the tomb. Not according to their bank accounts or lack thereof, not according to who they were born to, where in the world they were born, what language, skin color, and everything else in between. One final quote from John Perkins. There is no institution more equipped and capable of bringing restitution than the church. But we have some hard work to do. And I love that. I love his example. And I love his heart. His heart for restitution, reconciliation, and not just for blacks, but for whites and for everybody We'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper here in a moment, but before we do, I would like to read a pastoral prayer I did not write this, but I find it so appropriate to pray. So would you pray with me this? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the different nationalities and ethnicities present in our church. We rejoice to know that there will be people around your throne from every tribe, every tongue, and every language. And insofar as we are able, given our time and place as a congregation, help us to reflect this reality. Show us our abiding sins and shortcomings. Give us grace, insight, and self-awareness that we might remove barriers to the faith and barriers to the church, save for the offense of your truth and the enduring scandal of the cross. While there is much to celebrate regarding racial harmony in this country compared to where we have been, there is also so much to pray for. Wherever there are suspicions based on stereotypes and bigotry, forgive us. Wherever there is animus or prejudice based on differences in history, race, or economics, convict us. Wherever we are in bondage to self-pity or self-protection, redeem us. Wherever we are crass, insensitive, unthinking, or unfeeling towards the hurts and injustices others have experienced, deliver us. May those who belong to groups that have historically been shown prejudice in this country be free from bitterness, anger, and thoughts of recrimination. May those who belong to groups that have historically been privileged in this country be free from ignorance, pride, and thoughts of superiority. Keep us fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Change structures and systems where they are unjust change politicians and policies where they stir up division or seek out votes based on racial disunity. Most of all, 
Change the hearts of all those who are far from Christ and far from each other. May we all see the image of God in one another. And may we who call upon the name of Christ see in one another a brother, a sister, a certain heavenly companion in the makings of an earthly friend.